0: Hello, I am David Clashman from Fidelis. In partnership with IFA, the European Fundraising Association, welcome to the European Fundraising Podcast, a show where we discuss with some of our best European fundraisers how non-profit organizations can build long-term and deeper relationships with their donors. I receive today Philip Rothwell, the Director of Development at Warwick Independent Schools Foundation. He is also a CFRE, the famous International Fundraising Certification. With Philip, we will speak about fundraising in education, why it's so important to continue developing fundraising in order to maintain an equality in access to education, and how to fundraise for our schools through major gifts legacies, or telephone fundraising. Philip also explains to us what the CFRE is, this institution that certifies experienced fundraising professionals all around the world, and why he thinks it's a fantastic network to join. But we will also speak about wider subjects related to fundraising, mentoring, team management, or how to keep learning new things. A very interesting conversation with an experienced fundraiser. So let's listen to Philip Rothwell. Welcome, everyone. Today, I am welcoming Philip Rothwell, who is English and Director of Development at Warwick Independent Schools Foundation. Hello, Philip.
1: Hello. Nice to see you, David. (laughs)
0: So, Philip, we are going to speak today about uh, fundraising and education, a subject uh, you know very well, but we, are, we will also speak about wider subjects related to fundraising. Uh, you are a CFRE, this huge uh, international certific- certification used a lot in the US, so you will explain to us what it is exactly and why uh, European fundraisers should look at it closely and on the way, we will try to benefit from your experience in many little things on how to be a better fundraiser for our organisations. But first, Philip, could you tell us a bit more about uh, you and present yourself, please?
1: Sure. Well, I'm a fundraiser based in the UK. I work for an independent school, uh, but my first experience of philanthropy started many years ago. I was about six or seven and my primary school um i i organized a collection of dog food cans for a local dog shelter um i don't know why i can't remember the details but i remember collecting them from my classmates and stacking them up in the main hall and i remember unfortunately they did a, a, a pe lesson uh, you know a games lesson and someone crashed into them and they came falling down and uh, they're all dented but it doesn't matter the dog <laughs> shelter really appreciated it but i really enjoyed um to raising the profile and getting those cans and and giving to that charity and I suppose I didn't really know later on what I wanted to do but you know I always enjoyed sort of being involved with charity and helping if I could and when I was at university um, I studied religion and theology and uh, after that I worked I stayed on at a university to work in their development team uh, alumni and development fundraising team at the University of Warwick uh, then after that after a couple of years I went to London Business School and worked in a fundraising team there. And then about 10 years ago, the opportunity came to work at my old school, which is where I am now. Uh, it set up the fundraising office and we raised money for bursaries, which are free places to, at, the, at the school and uh, buildings and capital projects. And uh, really enjoy it. I have to say, I never planned to take this path. Um, I think 15 years ago when I first started, it was um, quite unusual still. Uh, now, I yeah. look at people and I think, wow, it's a proper career path. People go into it from university and, and there's a proper career progression. And uh, I have to say, I love it. It's great. I get to meet some really fascinating people, um, meet uh, people working in different so you uh, branches, lot, e- education.
0: Yeah, you saw a lot of changes in the, in the last 15 years. Like you said, uh, uh, I think we saw it in many countries uh it's been more structured and and basically uh, a student may are uh, beginning to know that it's a real job you can do a career on this is this is new
1: yeah it's definitely and um, people have chosen it as a career path now and not just that but leaders of schools universities and different charities now understand philanthropy a lot more and how to raise money. They, they now know it's a, there's a proper process that you go through. Uh, it's, a, it's a proper profession. And you don't just go and ask for money or write letters to people and hope money comes in. There's proper techniques and tools that you can learn along the way. And uh, I, I think I, I, I try to gather as much information as possible and meet as many interesting people as possible. And I think the future of fundraising uh, in in the UK and Europe yeah, it looks very bright. There's some really good people doing some great things um, at charities and, and and institutions across Europe, and, yeah, and uh, you, I think think we're in we're a very exciting place.
0: And do you think we have an, enough um, people to look up to? I mean, people uh, that are well known as being uh, successful fundraisers. I uh, know. Uh, I guess you know, in every family, uh, uh, when you think about what job you're going to do uh, later, it's it's good to have a uh, a kid needs someone to have in mind or uh, someone he wants to resemble to. Do you think we have enough of this, uh, or we need? Uh... Yeah, I don't think we
1: do. I don't think there's many people that we, we can instantly think of who are, you know, yeah. sort of well-known fundraisers. But in all of our walks of life, there are people, mentors that we can call upon. When I first started uh, on my own ten years ago, I, I I called upon a mentor who was an Australian fundraiser who had his own consultancy, and he very kindly uh, used to meet me regularly and talk through things. Uh, Not in a formal setting necessarily, but just casually. We used to talk about the issues I was facing, how to approach things. And I think having a mentor, having someone to champion you is vital. You, you, You have to find someone in your field who's an expert and they can pull you up. They can help help you with advice, and and in turn, I think we should also help mentor people as we become more uh, progressed in our careers. And I think and um, how, it will help. how did
0: you find your this mentor? How, can you give his name first, or maybe to <laughs> yeah, do uh, happily
1: to, do, to happily do so. Yeah, his name is Andrew Day, and he's a he's an Australian fundraiser, and he works for a company called Gifted Philanthropy. And he spent his career as a fundraiser in Australia before moving to the UK a few years ago. And I met him because he was uh, connected to someone else that I knew, so it was a personal introduction. I think I, I, I was introduced by another colleague. Uh, so, so the importance of speaking and meeting people is really, is really, is really important. But he was—he's—he's he's a fantastic, knowledgeable fundraiser, and uh, he champions people, and and he finds opportunities to encourage them to say, right, you should go to this conference, you should uh, attend this uh, this talk, you should uh, approach a major gift conversation in a certain way. And one of the biggest things he did for me was he encouraged me to do the CFRE, which I know we're going to go on and, and talk about. So I have a lot to thank him for, actually. And I hope that in turn and, uh, how, I can help someone
0: else. Yeah. And how did you find him? Did you, did you go in and talk to him and say, oh, I would like to have a mentor? Or how did it happen? <laughs>
1: Um, Well, it was the person, the the, the head, the headmaster of the school uh, where where at the time uh, he knew him, and he said, "Well, you should have a conversation with this guy." Uh, And I did. I went to see him just for a a general conversation, but then it evolved into a, a more of a mentoring relationship and i don't think there are any kind of hard rules about mentoring you can go and uh you know try and you can go with a list of things you want to talk about and talk through them or you can just talk generally if you have a problem you can go to them with a you know pick up the phone but i I know that i can uh you know pick up the phone and email or call him with an issue and he's always been very helpful and uh, again um i i try to be available for other people too and uh, i i think he just um I just think being available and having an open conversation with people because um, I I think often people don't know who to call or who to talk to or what kind of questions. If it's it's a silly question or a sensible question, there's no bad questions and you just need someone that you have an open relationship with and you can talk about anything and and, and that will improve you as a fundraiser.
0: Okay, and and, and you, you, you mentioned that you were a mentor now. How do you find people to mentor? Uh, uh, how do you say well, how do you yeah. make people know that you would like to you're, yeah. you're open to this
1: well I, I don't do it very well myself personally but what I've been, i am so in the uk we have this organization called the institute for development professionals in education idpe and it's a professional membership group for people working in schools and i joined that 10 years ago and i started to attend conferences then i started to volunteer at conferences and now i i, 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 I go quite regularly and I contribute. I'm I'm actually a trustee of the organization as well. But through that organization, they provide links with experienced development uh, professionals with people just starting out. So once a year, I speak at a new to development toolkit. It's like a day conference at a school, and everyone who's just starting out, brand new in their schools, uh, attends this 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 one day workshop. And, uh, and we we talk about you know how to set up an office, but we also have a, a a good portion of the day is just a question and answer where we can talk about anything that comes to mind. And I guess through that, I've had sort of informal conversations with people that have then continued. Afterwards, so people have got me now on speed dial or on email, and I'll happily answer any questions. Because the better that they do at fundraising uh, in their schools, the better that my school will do eventually. Because it raises the raises the bar of fundraising and philanthropy in schools. So I'm very happy to hopefully put something back, and I think that's and, a very and, and important. Do you find thing.
0: That, and do you find that young people are, are shy, too shy to ask you things, or how do you make them uh, realize? How important it is, and 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 how you're very open to this, because I guess you know, people don't dare you. For you, for them, you, uh, you you are an old folk. I don't know uh, how, how do you make them <laughs> relax on this, yeah. uh, uh, and, and and well. Yeah, yeah well, the first thing I
1: think is, um, you, if you're if you're um, uh, if you're an institutional, if you're a, if you're a manager of that person, you need to encourage them to go out and seek other people and other advice, and to go out and, and ask for ask for advice. So, if you, as a manager, encourage someone brand new to make a mentoring connection, then they'll do it because they, they might not do it by themselves. Um The other thing is to create an environment where people can can talk uh, to each other, and I think that 's what the i d p do um with their they've got their conferences and and they create regional meetings and give opportunities for people to get together and have conversations that can then progress to a more formal mentoring relationship and I admit i've not been very good at creating a sort of a formal relationship with anybody uh to mentor them, but i try to I try to use mentoring habits with people. Uh, the same things that I learned from Andrew and other people who've helped to guide me, I try to use them with other people. And I think if you just become approachable and uh, you know talk at conferences and just make an effort to speak with people, because we all remember what it's like working uh, walking into a conference for the first time, not knowing anybody, and yeah. there's someone over there chatting in groups. And how do you get into that group? I think you have to teach someone just starting out. That it's okay to just be bold and ask for help, because everyone started out knowing nothing at all.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, and, and well, some people are, are good at this, but uh, most people are <laughs> afraid to go and ask, yeah. and I know it's, yeah. a, it's a, uh, well, we've got this fundraising association in, in, in France, and I know it's always a, a subject, how do you, because young people come and see that there's only, you know, old people that are over <laughs> 30, so very old people, <laughs> and, and then they, they say, okay, I'm not coming, well, I've got nobody to speak to, no one to speak to and they they yeah. often don't come back so it's it's really a challenge and um yeah. <clears throat> Yes, okay, okay, yes. So, uh, forgive
1: me. I'm working in a, at a school with a bell going on.
0: Ah, yeah, is, yes, <laughs> I think it's
1: important. I, I think if you're starting out as well, it's very important to have small groups of people who are brand new just to share ideas as well. The other thing I did years ago, 15 years ago, you have heard of CASE, the Council for Advancement and Support of Education. It's the uh, sort of professional body primarily for higher education. So yeah. CASE is, is a huge organization. It's global, but CASE Europe, they do this thing every year called the spring institute and it was tremendous i got sent on that in the first two or three weeks of starting my career uh, when i was at, at working at a university and it's an intensive three-day uh three-day sort of training workshop for uh, based at a university and it's led by experienced fundraisers and they teach you all manner of things but the best thing was for me i i, I attended that with a cohort of i don't know how many other people about you know Fifty other people, all yeah. starting out in development, and I've kept in touch with a, a good number of those people. And I followed—we followed each other through our career. So I've, um, you know, I still keep in touch. And, and last summer, I dropped in on a, on someone who I met at this conference, who's now a, a development director at a very prestigious school in Oxford. And and I was I could just pick up the phone to her and go and visit her because we had that shared background, and I think we share problems with each other. So early on in your career. Uh, If you don't want to sort of necessarily, obviously, it's good to hear experienced people, but it's also good to get a group of people uh, that are going to come up with you and then share the highs and the lows of fundraising together. And I think that's really helped me as well. Having groups of people around you, experienced people, people who are the same level as you, and then also helping the next generation come through, I think was really important for our sector.
0: Uh, Okay. Okay. great. Um, So today you you fundraise for the the Warwick schools. Uh, Could you explain to us what it is to to fundraise for British schools or or maybe first give us uh, a brief history of the Warwick schools?
1: Yeah, well, uh, Warwick Schools Foundation is a group of about five schools. Um, There's nearly 3000 children in those schools. And I started off working just for one of those schools, Warwick Boys School. And Warwick School traces its history back to the year nine fourteen, so it's one of the oldest schools in the UK. It's uh, perhaps in the world. It's eleven. No, nine fourteen or 914?
0: 914,
1: uh, Yeah, yep, nine fourteen. <laughs> um, it was originally based, I think, in the grounds of Warwick Castle, which, if you've never been, you should come one day. It's uh, it's it, uh, it, it, it is this castle and, and lots. And there are a few of these schools now uh, in the country who started off many years ago in cathedrals or in monasteries uh, to educate uh, children. Uh, And uh, there's a a great history of independent schools in the UK, some very prestigious schools, but also lots of schools who have just founded in the last 100 years. And one thing that many of these schools have in common is that they were founded to educate uh, the children of poor families. And many of them had foundations set up to help pay for free education and in the last hundred or so years, uh, that education stopped being free. And uh, and then it became uh, you had to pay for it. And now uh, we got to the stage where there's no government funds to pay for free education at these schools anymore. Um, so independent schools in particular have to raise money to increase access to their schools. So that's one of the primary things that I've been doing over the last few years. It's going back to our alumni, our former pupils, and saying, um, you've got a great education for free um, in many cases and will you give back to help the next generation so I do that primarily through um, regular gifts and telephone fundraising things that many fundraisers in all sectors will be familiar with uh, yeah. legacy gifts so people leaving money in their will to the school is a huge uh, is a huge source of income for us and major gifts I, I spend some of my time a big part of my time trying to find people who could make a big gift to the school, um, that th- maybe to fund a whole place uh, at the school, and uh, we do all that because we we sort of we we run a program of events and activities to re-engage people and do fundraising, and that's what lots of schools in the UK are doing at the moment, and and and, and in Europe, I'm sure too. Uh,
0: do, you, do, you, do you? Can you share uh, a few figures on on, on this fundraising? Uh, I don't know what you can share. So we have an idea of the, yeah. the amount of Yeah, well, I'm so. sure. I mean,
1: our school is, uh, we, we raise modest funds. So we, we're not one of the big schools that raise millions and millions of pounds. Uh, but our school, um, uh, typically a major gift for us is around uh, 20,000 um, pounds. Recently, we had someone sponsor uh, a, a new food lab for 100,000 pounds. We've had legacy gifts ranging from 1,000 pounds to around 800,000 pounds. And every school is going to be different. Some schools uh, have huge uh, sources of income from people. Um, we get our income from uh, alumni uh, and from yeah. parents primarily. And some schools might focus almost all on parents. And a good thing to look back on, though, is IDPE, which I mentioned earlier, just yeah. produced a new benchmarking report um, across the uh, for the sector. So they measured the last three years of uh, sort of income from schools and they worked out what worked best and what didn't. And uh, one of the key findings for them was that they had a um, uh, majority of schools in the u k sort of raised uh smaller amounts of money, so less than a hundred thousand pounds. but uh, most the most successful schools raised about a hundred to five hundred thousand pounds, and there were very few schools, a small number, who are raising five hundred thousand pounds plus per year um and uh the, the the report looked at ways and the habits that all those top schools were in were using to raise money and, and okay. there were some key findings that you'd be familiar with um major gifts form the biggest uh biggest uh sort of source of income for most schools so the recommendation is that you know spend time on major gifts and legacy fundraising um and uh, make sure that one of the big findings from the report was uh, schools that had active involvement from their leadership from the heads and the senior leaders raised more money, uh, so schools working closely with the development director and the head uh, always raised more money than schools that didn't so um, I've seen over the last few years now in in, in u k schools development and fundraising is now much more aligned with with the school strategy, whereas years ago it used to be just an add-on it used to be something the schools said well let's 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 see how much money we can raise but now it's really understood as a proper profession by by the headmasters and the governors. But, but
0: this, have. Uh, what is the the importance of fundraising compared to other sources of revenue for for a school? I mean, uh, the the student fees uh, are still ninety nine percent of the revenues, no? Or, or, what is? Yeah, the, I
1: mean, primarily it's the fees. Yeah, fees are most of the income of the school, and then the salary, the, the the outcome of outgoings of the school is primarily the, uh, the the salaries of the teachers. So it's basically you know fees money fee income in and then uh you know salary out and schools in the uk can typically operate um you know within budget uh doing that you know but, but just charging fees what schools can't do some it is grow their transformational bursary income so they can't increase the number of free places they can't necessarily build um, an outstanding educational facility, like a new sports facility. Uh, so this is where in, in, philanthropic income comes in. It it's, it goes above and beyond what a school can normally afford. And uh, this this schools are uh, typically they're raising money for bursaries, which are free places, or facilities. And uh, yeah. the other things to do the school raise money for. They they often have commercial income as well. So independent schools often hire out their facilities, and uh, that raises a little bit of money. Um, Some schools like ours do events and conferences as well. So that raises a bit of money. Um, And uh, mostly, though, um, to really make transformational income, it's it's fundraising, it's development, it's philanthropy. Because if you get uh, a big legacy gift or a big major gift, the time spent on that can make a huge difference. One person or one trust can fund a whole a whole building or a whole place at the school for somebody. So this is a really area of growth for schools, and they understand it. And I think they're beginning to invest in it a lot more than they ever used to.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you you find that the management of schools are are beginning to understand more and more uh, what they can uh, uh, what they can expect from, from fundraising and how much it can help. Yeah. Uh, yeah investment and okay, okay. But because we yeah, we uh we all well, we have the impression that english schools are, always have this kind of financement you know like in france we we are more financed by the state on these kind of things yeah. uh, and and but more and more we are also uh going to fundraise on, uh, on independent people so but so um, so you find that even in england management of the schools didn't really have this uh, expectation on fundraising in the last years i mean it's it's still uh, they are more and more aware of what they can uh, achieve. Yeah, with fundraising. yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, I- I- in the past, um, if they wanted to do some fundraising, they, a school might appoint um, a teacher uh, who would maybe be re- coming close to retirement, uh, yeah. you know, to say, right, you can try and raise some money. And But now schools are really understanding it. I mean, another thing I did in the last two or three years, an IDPE present every year, uh, in front of new headmasters and headmistresses, so that they they go to the conferences of, of these heads and these leaders, and they talk about fundraising. And uh, you know, now you've got new. It used to be the case that years ago, a headmaster wouldn't have a, a clue about fundraising and wouldn't be interested in it. Now um, it's almost part of the job description of many heads when they take up a new post, which is fantastic. And it's it's kind of looking over to the United States. Schools fundraising in the United States is massive. It's almost expected that when you take up a place at the school, you also make a gift to the school on a regular basis. And we yeah. don't have that yet, but we definitely have a much more open discussion about giving and heads are willing to talk about it. and Governors are willing to talk about it as well. And it's not just fee-paying schools. There's lots of um, state-funded schools in the UK that are also raising tremendous amounts of money for new facilities. And parents are quite happy to, to provide funds because that helps make a, a fantastic building possible for their children that otherwise wouldn't be. Um, yeah. So there's, it's definitely it's becoming much more accepted now in the UK, and I hope now uh, you know in, in the more state-funded areas of, of Europe as well that, that that you can understand the power of raising money on top of the current operating budget can make a huge difference.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. And and um, do you get inspiration for from other country? Uh, or, I mean, the US is always, I guess, uh, what we uh, we look at when it's school education. But because they they are they have been doing this for a long time. And you say, like you say, it's huge over there. But are there other countries or is it really the way we finance our school systems are too different from one European country to another? Or I mean, have you looked am, at fundraising in other countries?
1: Yeah. A little bit. I mean, I spend a bit of time now working with the US organisations and US schools. Yeah. Um, they have a slightly different operating model. Actually, if you look at most US schools, they will um, they will tell their parents that their operating budget doesn't cover the full cost of the school, and therefore you need to donate every year in order to meet the to, to meet the basic costs of the school education. So that that probably doesn't work as well in the UK because our fees pay for the operating budget of the school um i have looked at australian universities again like i said my mentor originally was from australia and australian universities and schools um are are very good at fundraising and there's some great practitioners out there um and uh, there's one or two organizations i can't remember what the names are now but i I, i've taken inspiration from you know in europe as well and some international schools um and often when you travel you yeah (laughs) well i haven't traveled much um, in for my job in europe really, but.
0: but did when you go I'm, and meet uh, some, uh, do you have the habits of, you know, phoning someone and say, OK, I'm, I'm coming next to you. Uh, uh, could we have a chat yeah, or yeah, coffee? I uh,
1: yeah, I, I have. Whenever I go places, sometimes I, I, I'm very boring at home. But, you know, my, my wife says, oh, well, why are you doing this? If we go, for example, a few years ago, I went to Vancouver and I, uh, I just I, I called the development office at the university in Vancouver and said, can I come and visit you? and uh and again that comes back to what we were talking about earlier just having an open conversation and, and and sort of accessing um people's expertise often people are happy to chat about what they do um which is good um but i haven't um there are some schools i think in south africa as well beginning to do fundraising um so but wherever i go i do try to sort of check in and see uh what what's uh what what's going on and often it's not necessarily the school it's the um It's the makeup of the school community. So I find if you've got lots of Americans uh, attending a school, if it's a boarding school, for example, um, they can be a lot more generous and they understand philanthropy. So it's not just the fundraisers who need to be better educated about it. I think in our countries, um, in the UK, for example, we're still not very used to, or maybe we're becoming better at it, uh, giving money to education. Uh, but in the states it's just expected and i know that uk universities also struggle with getting money for education but it's beginning to change um but yeah i think that um there are some good examples i have to i have to get back to you on on the names (laughs) of the schools but uh yeah you can go and see these people often they're speaking at conferences like IDPE conferences or case conferences and that's why i try when i can go to these conferences because you get to meet them here from some people that have done it as well you know d- done it and done it very well and you can take tips from them and uh, you can ask them
0: <laughs> okay um, okay okay I think uh, j- just for the the, um, the major gifts uh, uh, can you give us you know one minute your how you work on this on day to day you how do you see in, in the alumni or who, who, who could be a major gift donor what, what do you do concretely I mean you have a list uh, do you Uh, study your list uh, before you go and see the guy you 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 prepare a lot Uh, how do you do
1: yeah i tried to learn about major gifts through my career and uh, one of the first things i did when i started at the university of warwick my boss was a major gifts manager and she took me out on meetings with people so i guess the first thing to say is she taught me that you should always pick up the phone to people and uh, have a conversation and try to get a meeting and if you've got a meeting, then that's, an, that, that's a good way in to start to build a relationship. And major gift fundraising is transformational and it's not transactional. So I can't just call someone and ask for a major gift. Um, it's about building a quality relationship over time. And yeah. the best thing about working in a school is that some of the people I'm speaking to um, spent, I don't know, 10, 12 years of their life, their childhood, at their school. And they've got fun memories. Um, and uh, they're really connected with their schools. So I've really enjoyed sort of reconnecting with people and uh, sort of building that relationship and then asking for their support. And uh, what I often do is, if I try to find someone who's likely to support the school, it's somebody who came to the school for free themselves um, so, they got a free place. Uh, somebody yeah. who's then gone on to do very well for themselves, someone that might have created a business or be an entrepreneur or work in a particular field. I also find in schools that while we engage with every age, um, people really get nostalgic about their school when perhaps they're in their 50s, when they're, if they have children, when their children have left school, um, when they're reflecting back on their time at school. And maybe at that point in their life, they might have. Uh, more capacity to give. Um, And it's about giving, well, most of my major gift donors didn't start off just making a major gift. They also made smaller gifts along the way. So uh, several smaller donations before leading to a big gift. Or perhaps the ultimate gift of leaving a yeah. legacy. So it's building a long-term relationship.
0: In in this long-term relationship, I guess it's it's also. I mean, you have to stay. Uh, you fundraiser has to have to stay a long time in the institution because this this relationship is built more uh, with you and with the school, but mostly with you. So if if you yeah. go, uh, you lose uh, all this or not?
1: <laughs> but, I mean, uh, the IDPE benchmarking report. One of the findings in it states that the longer a fundraiser, a development director has been in post, the more money a school raises. And I do think there's a there's a bit of truth in that. Obviously, people do move on and that's fine. But with fundraising, particularly major gift fundraising, it's important to build those relationships and it takes time to build new relationships. So it just makes sense that um, we should focus in the in Fundraising profession on retaining people, and this is something which is coming down. You know, to you know, younger generations now, they will have several different jobs throughout their years. You know, whereas in the past, thirty years ago, people might have two or three jobs. So I don't know how fundraising will adapt, but it needs to because um, if people are only staying somewhere for three or four years and then moving on, how do you build those long-term relationships? Yeah. So I think that's something that our sector has to has to consider and how we hold on to people and really create a career path for them within their own institutions, because that's when they can really get transformational income. It's when they build these big relationships
0: with that, with, with supporters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, that's uh, very interesting. Um, okay. Now, now um, uh, I would like to talk about um, CFRE. Uh, so it's a word that uh, we fundraiser have all heard about uh, the, the, these four letters are often next to names on uh, LinkedIn, for example, on uh, uh, of the American fundraisers. Uh, I've never understood in much in detail what they meant. So, um, Philip, could you explain to us what <laughs> yes. is CFRE?
1: CFRE stands for Certified Fundraising Executive. So, it's the only internationally recognised um, certification for fundraisers in the world and uh it's 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 a very important honor and it's good for people which is why you see it after their names on linkedin or all sorts of things it's basically a badge which says you are a fundraising practitioner that holds the highest standards in philanthropy that you actively raise funds and you also contribute uh, back to the fundraising and philanthropic sector um, it's 40 years old, it started in the US, and a lot of the CFREs, um, as we call them, their CFREs, are based in North America. But there's a growing number of us around the world. Um, so there's about 50 of us in the UK. There's a, a good number of people in the, in Europe and, and in Australia. And uh, I'm really passionate about the CFRE. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's such it's, an important certification.
0: It's funny what you say on, on the honor. Like, I mean, it's it's different from... Uh, a certificate from a business school for for example i don't know uh, you you see i mean why does everybody puts it right to next to their name on uh, every uh, social media when they, it it means something like you say it's uh, it it means really that they are proud of this uh, this uh, this certification i don't know how but how does it work i mean explain to us uh, how that you wh- yeah. why are you proud of this more than maybe uh, <laughs> uh, uh, something you got yeah. uh, oh, i could know, tell
1: you yeah. well in the last few in the last few years i'm proud of achieving my mba uh, which i did while i was also working and my cfre now the difference between the two is that my mba was like a two year course which i had to work and do uh, you know modules and i had to do uh, final exams etc uh, and then I've got my certificate. That's it. I've got my MBA. And it's one time. The CFRE is something that you have to constantly renew every three years. You have to, it shows you are actively fundraising. So you have to work hard to attain it. And then you have to keep working to, to retain it, to keep, to keep the CFRE. So just to explain briefly how it works, um, there's, there's, there's two parts for getting the CFRE. Firstly, you need to be, you need to be a fundraiser with, um, I think it's like three or four years experience and you need to gain a number of points. Um, I won't go into the detail about it and bore you now, but you need to acquire points that show firstly that you're actively fundraising. So you need to show on the application form uh, that you have personally raised or been involved with gifts at different levels. Um, You then also need to uh, complete um, an exam so you have to do the application form. Um, that has to be accepted. So you can only do it once you've worked in fundraising for a little bit, your mid-career perhaps. And then you have to do an exam. And the exam is what scares people the most, but it's the most fun thing actually if you think about it. The exam is um, a 200-question multiple-choice exam. There's four answers per each question. Yeah. And you have four hours to complete this exam. And you have to go to a test centre or actually since the pandemic – you can now do it at home, uh, on, online, on your computer, but it's under test conditions. It's really rigorously tested by, I think it's a company called Pearson, who, who are basically an international testing organisation, and they protect the exam at all costs. It's a very highly, highly protected exam. And you study for the exam by uh, studying a number of resource books, um, and you, you answer these questions. And most people do the exam in about two hours, 45 minutes um but the, so, okay, of the exam
0: do you have an example oh, of, ahead, question, yeah. of this question of this question just to, to give us it's a, a, a well, what kind of a, on <laughs> what are these questions on i mean uh, uh
1: well uh, they're all going to be questions that you're familiar with as a fundraiser so some of them are multiple cho- they're all multiple choice questions um so i don't know one of the questions could be and these aren't this isn't a question it could be sort of what's the most important motivation for a donor uh, when 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 you asking for for, for, for what's the most important thing uh when you're asking for money what's the most effective way to ask for money uh and it could be it could be a question it could be you know send 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 a letter it could be meet in person uh to ask in person it could be um you know just uh just just uh, an email appeal or something and you have to choose from those options what what's the most effective way to do that particular thing and each question um, and in that regard, I'd say the question would be asking face to face. That's the most. While email fundraising and letters do make a difference, direct mail makes a difference. We, as fundraisers, we all know the most important thing that we have to do is ask people. And if we can ask face to face, that's the most most powerful way so it's just employing and using the things that we know as fundraisers <clears throat> but in a rigorous way so each of the questions is referenced against a um against a, a, a source text like a, a fundraising textbook and okay. uh, it's it's rigorously put together so it's it's something that if you worked in fundraising you would be able to answer but you would need to study for it uh, as well and approach the questions and 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 the thing is, basically, once you've done the exam, um, that's it, you don't have to do the exam ever again.
0: <laughs> ah, yeah, so once okay, The you so yeah, is So you say thing. you have to, uh, every, let's like say, three years, um, you have to yeah. do something so, again to, yeah. what do you do every three, year, three years?
1: So you, you do the exam the first time, which is the application form, which you, you have to list the number of, you have to acquire a number of points to show that you're qualified to, to, to have, take the CFRE, and then you have to sit the exam. Once you've passed the exam, fantastic. Uh, you don't have to do the exam again. But every three years, you have to recertify. So you have to tally up. You have to you have to, you have to to go back and, and uh, put together a new form and update your number of points. So, for example, me, uh, I have to show that I have actively raised funds. So I put that down on the form. Okay. Another thing I have to do is show that I volunteered in fundraising. So I put down uh, when I've spoken at a conference, that counts, that gets you number okay. of points. You also have to put down what you've attended by way of training. So you have to show that you've attended training uh, in order to keep your uh, fundraising knowledge current. And uh, you send off the application every three years and it gets assessed and then you get your CFRE renewed. Um, so that's perhaps the most important distinction to make. It's not just a one-time thing. The CFRE is something which is active throughout your career. You could lose the CFRE if you left fundraising or didn't do any training or didn't volunteer, so CFRES are really actively involved in fundraising and philanthropy, and that's what I really enjoy about it. They're really engaged, and that's why we're so proud to put that after our names uh, on LinkedIn. A- and you,
0: you have to you have to work for an NGO, or no, you can work for you know someone who has a direct mail uh, yeah, uh, company.
1: You, or you, you work anywhere. Yeah, you could be uh, if you're working in the field of fundraising. Um, and you qualify with a number of points you could do it. So if you run a telephone fundraising company, uh you're actively raising funds. You you know you are a fundraiser. You you're 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 employing the principles of fundraising. So you could do that uh, or or if you work in healthcare or, acad- or an academic institution, okay. the principles of fundraising are the same regardless. So we may have talked earlier about schools and what's special about schools, but major gifts, regular gifts, these are the same things that every institution in the world uh, employs. Uh, so that was, that's what makes it it's, uni- its truly universal. Everyone can take it. It's a global certification. So if you work in the US, UK, Australia, anywhere else, the same principles apply. It's
0: funny because the, and, uh, there are no local differences. I mean, in different countries, this, you, it's the same uh, techniques or this, the same things you have to master uh, yeah, I mean, to be a fundraiser?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean there are differences. I mean in the UK we have gift aid um where people need to be aware of tax uh, yep. advantages for giving and and that's might be the same in Europe as well. Um and uh you know in in in, in different parts of the country in in the world there are slightly different approaches for major gift fundraising. So uh but the same principles apply generally the uh, un- the underlying principles of of major gifts or motivations for f- for philanthropy apply. But when the um, when CFRE puts together the exam, they consider all these issues and they try to make it as universal as possible. So you could be a fundraiser, uh, you know, in the outer reaches of a, a country somewhere that's never done fundraising, right. um, and and you could you could you could identify with this, and you could um, employ these employ the employ the same principles um, across the world.
0: Okay, okay, great, and I understand. And uh, uh, how much does it cost just to to register?
1: Um, I think uh, I think at the moment uh, roughly. Eight, I mean, what eight, is the... eight, yeah? It's about about eight hundred and seventy dollars, I think U.S. dollars. Okay. Um, so whatever that equates to, uh, to register the first time, and then you have to recertify every three years. It's about five hundred dollars. And it's um, something.
0: That it's it's your diploma. It's not uh, you in this specific NGO. It's a, a personal uh, certification. <laughs>
1: But it's a personal thing to you as a fundraiser, but um, many organisations pay for their own pay for their, um, their their staff to do the CFRE. So I think I got a stat which I did look up: fifty four percent of CFRES say their employer contributed all or part of the cost. Okay, um, that's that's true with me. But actually, you know, if you're a fundraising consultant, you're going to be paying yourself, aren't you? So, um, but people, lots of people do pay, and they see the value in it. But actually, lots of NGOs, schools, they see it as really important. It's actually because one of the one of the main thing emphasis of CFRE is that that emphasis on ethics and best practice. Uh, Many institutions want their uh, employees to have the CFRE because it it shows that they are ethical fundraisers, that they follow best practices in fundraising. So many institutions will pay for CFRE. And if they've never done it or they don't know about it, um, when you're exploring that with your organization, just talk about the CFRE. And I think that they will see it as as a valid professional development expense for them. It it would definitely be better for them in the long run to to have a CFRE.
0: Yeah, and, and I understand it, it being a CFRE helps you to keep learning. I mean, it's, it's, it makes, it's putting a bit of a, a nice pressure on yourself to, to, to go to conferences, to speak at conferences. Uh, yeah. it counts, like you said, in your points. Uh, it's, it's a good way of, um, of, uh, of, of, yeah, of, of keeping learning all the time. And, uh, do yeah. you use it? Do you use it like this? I mean, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, i i i haven't i'm on the uh, c f r exam committee at the moment so okay. i i'm helping at the at the moment to write new questions for exams and i've got a pile of books and it's fantastic there's there's some really interesting academic research and also practical research on fundraising and and it it keeps me really interested and it keeps me involved in fundraising best practice so some of the principles of fundraising um, i keep learning and keep renewing my knowledge it's fantastic and i and and doing the cfre it encourages you to attend conferences and to give back and all the things we talked about at the beginning about mentoring and volunteering uh, all the cfre's that you see will be finding opportunities to speak and help advance the profession Um, I think it's great because to me, when I started in fundraising, uh, people in the UK didn't really understand it as much as they do now. Uh, It's a proper profession. Um, Many organizations, many professions across the world uh, have um, a a certification um, and fundraising didn't have one, but now it's got the CFRE and it's such a fantastic thing to to be involved with. And uh, I get to meet fundraisers from across the world. I mean, there's Seven thousand seven hundred CFRES around the world. Um, most of them in North America, but there's a growing number um, in in Europe. Uh, there's, there's like around fifty people there in England. Um, they, they, I've got them here. They've got there's CFRES in France, Ireland, Switzerland, Romania, Greece, Germany, Netherlands, um, and you know a, a very good uh, a very good colleague of my. Well, Someone I've, I've met is um, based in Germany, and uh, yeah. I've had a very good conversation with her about how she does fundraising in Germany, which then helps me potentially do fundraising uh, if I, with my alumni in there in Germany. Yeah, how, so,
0: do you, how, do just, you meet with other, how does it, you know, how do you, are there some uh, uh, annual meeting uh, in Europe or in the States, or how, how does it happen? Uh, well, how, how do they make you uh, interact with each other? with other CFRE- uh,
1: well, these yeah if you check out the cfre website cfre.org there's a lot of information and if you register i think there's a message board where you can access and there's a lot of people exchanging messages um, in the u.s what people do when they're studying for the cfre is they form study groups and they yeah. get together and they spend a few weeks together meeting weekly maybe uh, to chat through the questions and how they can approach the exam uh, but beyond that you there's lots of networks when i can look up a cfre um and i'm also i didn't say yet i'm I'm on the cfre board of directors which i joined about a year ago and that gives me tremendous access to some wonderful people from all around the world i mean like i said my colleague uh, my fellow board director who's based in germany astrid she's fantastic i get to spend time with her and i've met many other great fundraisers working in different um, professions uh, within fundraising um as, as well so um I think it's a very good network, and you do see CFREs. And actually, when people attend conferences, on their name badges they have the CFRE on. So if I spot yeah. someone, I say, "Hey, you're a CFRE too." You know, we've got that shared background. I think it's a really exciting. Uh, yeah, it's a great network, if nothing else.
0: Yeah. So if someone's uh, someone wants to to be a CFRE or, or, or to participate to the you know the the, the, the uh, in Europe, uh, so the, there will be more CFRE. What do you have to do concretely? Just uh, you know, go to the website and and register to the next uh, yeah. exam of CFRE, or what would you be yeah. your recommendation on how to start?
1: Yeah, uh, well, there's many routes. Firstly, go to c- cfre.org and uh, check out the, uh, the the webinars. There are regular webinars run for uh, all parts of the world. So there's, there's there's American ones. There's also ones for you know Europe and the Middle East. So you know, all matched to our time zones. Um, uh, there's also links to uh, video interviews with CFREs about why they've done it um, you can contact a CFRE ambassador in your country so okay. um, about two or three years ago I was the UK CFRE ambassador so that meant if anyone had any questions they could contact me um, and uh, so but I guess uh, you could make contact with CFRE and uh, and there's all sorts of information that CFRE have to help you Uh, in preparing for the CFRE and deciding if it's right for you. Even to the point where if you want to ask your employer to help contribute to the cost, um, there's a fact sheet which basically explains the benefits of being a CFRE. That yeah, but you I, I guess your...
0: it helps you to communicate also in your own organization with your own boss. Uh, mm. uh, it, we all know it's it's important. It's one of the first things you do when you when you become a fundraiser is how to involve your the top uh, management of your organization in fundraising. So does it help you also on this?
1: Yes, it does. Yes, yeah. speaking to your employer and your boss... Is, is vitally important, I think, to show them that um, this is a globally accepted uh, certification which holds people in the highest standards uh, of ethics and best practice. And uh, it basically, CFRE also validates your skill set. So, um, not so much in the UK because CFRE isn't known, but in the US, um, there are some stats that show uh, people who have CFRE often have a slightly higher salary or. If you are amongst a group of candidates for a job, uh, often having a CFRE will distinguish you above other candidates because it shows that you're really committed to the sector and it also shows that you've actively raised money. Because you could put on your CV that you've raised, um, a million dollar, million euro gifts, uh, but actually how can you prove it? You don't know. So the CFRE actually shows that you are an active fundraiser and you you're, you, can be trusted to deliver. So I think there's more work to be done in Europe uh, because people don't really understand the CFRE as much. But certainly in the US, it's a badge of honor. And, and people, employers recognize it as well. And, and 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 effective managers hopefully would encourage their employees to to go for that, go for the CFRE.
0: Okay, and last question on CFRE. I know it's a bit of a stupid question, but I, I know it's maybe the first reaction of... Uh, Anyone in fundraising who's uh, working uh, a lot already and has, uh, you know, uh, he, he has you know emails to send and people to meet and uh, and is uh, late on this on that, uh, he's going to say, okay, it's great, but uh, where do I find the time to do something like this? Which, uh, I mean, maybe the first question is, okay, it's going to take me time. I understand it's interesting, but I have too much operational stuff to do. What could you uh, respond on this? <laughs>
1: I mean, uh, one one answer which isn't very helpful is to say, how can you afford not to take the time? Like, you have to take care of your own professional development. You have to find ways. You can't just be a fundraiser working on the day-to-day operational stuff because you won't ever improve. And, uh, you know, you need capacity to improve. So you need to believe in yourself that you need to develop as a fundraiser. So that's one thing. Then you need to communicate that to your um, to to your boss, to to your employer. And you know, if they are really committed to you and your professional development, then they would be committed to something like this. It does take time. You do need to take a bit of time. I spent evenings studying for the CFRE, but that's because I enjoy I enjoy my profession, and I think anyone that wants to be a CFRE enjoys doing what they do. You know, day to day. Uh, more more than just doing the job uh, and uh you know it, it will, it, you won't want to do the cfre if you just want to turn up do your job or go home again um so i think that um it, you do need to make that commitment there is a financial commitment of course and there's a time commitment and every three years you need to recertify um and i need to i get to the point where i have to recertify and I, there's a form you need to fill in I try and fill in the form like as I go. So if I attend and speak at a conference, I try to f- complete the form. Yeah. But when I first did it, I left it to the last few weeks before I had to recertify. And I had to go back through all my notes and say, Wait, what did I attend? What did I speak at? And I tried to... It was a pain, but it's worth it because it really validates what you've done over the last three years oh, and right. shows that you're committed.
0: I understand it. It shows, uh, it shows profiles. I mean, s- some people... Uh, like you said uh, just do their job and it's 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 very respectful already to to uh, respect this to people to do their job and they go back to home and then it's finished and but wanting to be a CFRE uh, and being a CFRE is is wanting a bit more and wanting to to extend and to keep learning and and et cetera it, uh, i understand now better that why uh well people having the CFRE, it, it it shows ambition or, uh, i don't know how to say it but uh yes uh, okay i i understand very well okay it's great <laughs> it's great um okay thanks I, I see the time going by um uh, another little subject I, I i know you you know uh, well um and i would like to so to ask a few questions on, on it it's it's the team development in in fundraising uh it's a subject you've studied uh i think so can you tell us maybe a few facts on what you advise uh, on on managing a fundraising team i know it's a bit yeah. broad question Yeah,
1: yeah i know you know so, so actually you know learning being involved for a few years in fundraising and having had good some really good managers i've kind of tried to learn about how you then develop that team so uh, you know in schools we have a small team we typically have small teams of maybe you know two to seven people you know in universities yeah. when I worked in a higher education there were teams of like 35 or 40 people and uh, you know that was big numbers but when I came to my school I, I was quite interested in how you encourage and manage your fundraising team and uh, I've worked with some people who've been at the school for a very long time longer than me and they're very happy doing what they do and I've worked with some people who've come along uh, and learned some really good skills, and moved on to a, a, a promotion somewhere else. So I really enjoy working with people, and, try, and I think one of the things with team management, when you come in, is, is trying to find that what makes somebody tick. You know, what makes them, what motivates them. And if they're very happy in their want, in their institution, like we talked about earlier, it's very important to have people uh, for the long term. But also, it's important to recognise uh, when people want to develop. So creating that sort of mentoring relationship when with your employees is important but what we, we call it coaching I guess so developing yeah. coaching mentality so you're not just managing someone and telling them you have to do this this or this Co- a coaching mentality is where you uh, where, where, where you where you encourage an open conversation about an issue and say right we need to uh, run a telephone campaign right like, what are the principles that you think we need to do and then and, and let somebody take the take ownership of that but actually guide them and you know, ask questions uh, have you thought about this uh, you know what would you know make, have you considered this course of action so not being directive but being open and conversational helps people to improve and and develop their own uh, their, their own sort of uh, their own successes and then when you measure people it's about having um you know in fundraising it's about not just sort of uh not just the number of m- how much money someone's raised it's what kind of behaviors have they have they have they have they done in order to raise money so how many times have they called somebody to ask for a meeting uh how many uh asks of fund asks of money have they made even if that hasn't resulted in anything are they actually doing the things that lead to effective fundraising and not just Wait. measuring the end goal
0: yes I think a lot of uh Intermediary, uh, intermediary objective on, like you said, uh, how many meetings, how many times you spoke to someone. Uh, I mean, if you, and then what is the limit? If you have too many uh, uh, objective, maybe it's. Uh, I don't know. How do you fix this? Uh, the number of objectives, like you say. Oh, it's different from <laughs> it's uh, one hard, people yeah. to another. Uh, uh, it's like you said, different. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, in in, in some of the CFRE uh books and materials um there there's lots of academic research on on, on how many people are, you know on, on asking and that kind of thing and uh so you can try to set sort of um set goals around asking numbers of people um but uh, it's, it's it's it can be it can be difficult but I think if you focus on on behaviors and you know if somebody isn't performing um maybe you know it is important for the leader to consider what they're doing what they're not doing, you know, in terms of leading that person um, in order to help them improve. Um, and I guess the other thing about leadership, I think, because we all work in a profession which is about doing good for society, I think in fundraising, more than ever, it's important about leading with kindness. And, uh, you know, it's not say it's not a sales environment where you have to hit certain targets because when you try to uh, – if you ask somebody for support before they're ready – uh, they're going to say no and you might damage that relationship uh, so it's important to uh, have an open dialogue and encourage people and then so team development I think is important everyone has a role to play in fundraising as well even if they're not directly uh, engaged in fundraising they might be doing the engagement side the the, yeah. of the alumni relations and the other thing about team development I'd just finally say is that it's just as important to manage your boss, you know, manage up as well as manage down. Um, so if you have um, an open relationship with your boss, that is that's very that's just as important because often um, in fundraising, uh, the leader of the institution is the person who's going to be helping to secure the big gifts. But but they often don't know what they they don't know what they need to do to do that. So you need to as a fundraising leader be just as involved at managing the leadership yeah. and the governors and the board as you do uh, your colleagues. So it's it's just constantly open dialogue and conversations with people and trying to set some metrics that you can measure progress. Uh, you definitely need to measure where you're going. But
0: in your team, uh, I mean, uh, what are the, uh, from your experience, the main um trigger or what 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 do people what, what are they looking for in when they are working in the fundraising team are they making one they want to make an impact uh, they want to change the world they want just to uh, uh well I, I don't know what uh what do you see uh and yeah. everybody wants <laughs> to do good uh, around around him but, yeah. but how, how do you get more into detail into this
1: i think um, particularly with what i do working i've worked with some really good people um, you know, some people that want to be in one place because they came. So there's one colleague I have that has worked at this institution before and has come to this institution as a child, yeah. and they want to. They 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 they're completely everything about them is, is identify with with the organisation, and they want to do the best job they can for the organisation. I've also met and you know worked with a fundraiser who's come from another institution and had no affiliation with my current institution but she wanted to do the best job that she could to improve herself fundraising wise. Actually, she's on my list to encourage to do CFRE next. Um, But she's gone off and done a fantastic job somewhere else. So it's about being mindful of why do people turn up to work every day. But I think most people I meet in education fundraising are just passionate about um, the the life changing um, benefits of education. You know, if you can take somebody, uh, you know, from from a from a background who, a challenging background and, and put them in one of these amazing schools, give them a great education. Often they're the first people to go to university in their family. They go off and do wonderful things and then they give back. I think that a lot of people I meet now are just really passionate about education. If it's higher education or, or or schools. And I've also met people working in healthcare as well and all sorts. I mean most of the people I meet who are CFREs or generally in fundraising, they, they want to do this because they could they could go off and do sales elsewhere and people can you know you could get bonuses and run you know raise you know do do all sorts of things but that's transactional sales is in marketing and that kind of thing it's about selling products but this is about doing good for society and i think the best people that i've met in fundraising are just really passionate about doing the best they can and and also one final thing is say we're all just stewards of our current organization one day you know i'll pass on to somebody else and they'll carry on and and the same with every every institution and 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 i think that fundraisers philanthropists they want to leave place things in a better place than they inherited them and uh, that's really the
0: motivation which is and, uh, I mean, uh, our society is, is more and more looking for, uh, what we hear on TV and for the don't want, like you said, any transactional or selling, uh, products. It's, it's more and more difficult for commercial, um, entities to, to, to recruit because people, young, young people, they want to have an impact and, and change society and they, they care a bit less about, uh, salary. That's what people say. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, and that's like it. I noticed that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I so, share, so it, I mean, it, I'm
1: not too involved with the uh, generational sort of, uh, I, as I understand it, I mean like millennials and Gen, uh, the next generation below, Gen Z, below, yeah. gen Z uh, they seem to be motivated by more than just money, don't they? And I think that's quite well placed for working in philanthropy. Yeah, so it's
0: can... a great opportunity for us uh, to recruit these uh, uh, talented young people in, in offering, we have something else to offer. Uh, and that's uh, something yeah. we should, uh, consider and we we, and like you said that's why more and more people are are coming to our sector and that's great and uh, so we have to be organized to 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 recruit them and to make them uh, thrive (laughs) that's for sure
1: yes i'd love to get to the day where we can you know our school runs careers fairs Uh, at the moment and you can companies come and exhibit about I don't know being working in in medicine or engineering Uh, maybe the next careers fair maybe one of my goals will be to get someone exhibiting from uh, a fundraising charity to show that actually this is a really fantastic uh, career that they could be part of and they could learn all about sort of the aspects of fundraising and and, and, and regular gifts major gifts and, and it's a real profession that they could want to embrace
0: yeah, it's nearly lunchtime for in in your school. I know. <laughs> you can hear the bell again. Okay, <laughs> okay, great. great. Well, uh, Philip, we are coming uh, to the end of the episode, maybe I have a uh, a few last questions. Uh, well, some of them you've already answered, but um, basically, I, I understand that education for you is uh, is uh, maybe the, the major battle and. In, in, that's what also motivates you every morning uh, to, to go and fundraise is, is, is working for education for you. It's important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was the first person. I came to I came to school for free because my family couldn't afford it. So somebody helped me come to school and uh, and I had a great education and it really helped me get to university. I was the first person in my family to go to university and then I've developed a fantastic career. And I want other people to benefit from that too. So I'm really, my thing really is education. I'm really passionate about education and uh, you know encouraging. But I also see there's so many fantastic people working in different fields, all over the world. Uh, but yeah, I really believe education is, is can make make a huge difference. I mean, look at the other uh, just very very briefly. Uh, I, I've been involved in years gone by um, in, in in an organisation which sets up which has set up a school in South Sudan which is one of the the newest and most um, disrupted countries in the world. Uh, But somebody wanted to set up a girls boarding school um, in in South Sudan called IBA girls boarding school. And um, it's, it's been going for a few years now and now there are girls who've gone through and ordinarily they would, they wouldn't have had an education uh, secondary education. And now they've, now they've they've got it there's such life, life changing benefits of education. So I think that's something I really want to, continue to work in in
0: my career okay okay all well, you you certainly uh transmit this passion <laughs> so that's great um and um well once again another question where you, you've answered a lot but maybe on, on very uh, my question was how to keep on learning but uh uh maybe on very basic stuff but you have no website to go to or or uh, have you got like routines that you use to yeah, keep on yeah. learning on fundraising
1: um, i uh well, on the very basic level, I just read. You know, there's so much material out there for fundraisers to read. Uh, there's academic material, and there's also more conversational material. Um, but I also look on 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 blogs. Um, I, I, I try to, and I can't give you any right now off the top of my head but I I subscribe to a few blogs. I like to watch or listen to podcasts like your yours. I have to compliment you on because I think you know, listening to some of yours has given me access to people working in different parts of the world in different fields that I wouldn't normally have heard and I like to attend conferences and uh you know as you go obviously there's many opportunities to learn and I think throughout your career it's important to develop curiosity and always stay curious about what you know about what you're interested in and keep learning because I think the moment we stop learning that's when we start to stagnate um so i just think there's many opportunities especially since the pandemic when everybody put videos online uh you know training courses uh you know they wrote blogs there's so much material out there to 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 read through and to identify and then ultimately um if i see something or read something interesting i might email that person and follow up um and just so you know keep stay curious uh, and pick up the phone or email people to ask questions They you know, always ask questions and then just we can always improve we can always be better than we are we're never at the we're never going to be at the we're never going to be the the best fundraiser in the world we have to learn from other people and this is obviously where we are now with technology we can access best practice from across the world and it's fantastic
0: and, and do you find it more and more difficult to be curious with uh with time or i mean well young people are very curious kids <laughs> are of course very curious do you find it yeah. more and more difficult or, or no you don't have this kind of uh Uh, anxiety of saying oh Oh. now uh, I'm uh, I know better than most of them I don't know how do you find um, uh, how do you manage to 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 have the courage to be more curious and and to keep this curiosity up and I guess sometimes you're Mm -hmm. I know you're not feeling well one morning you don't you not don't feel like uh, (laughs) picking up your phone because you're tired or how do you deal with this
1: yeah I mean I think it's important to manage your energy as much as your time so I know there are times in my in my in my job when uh when it's the summer holidays uh i focus on and there are people who aren't available necessary to call or when it's christmas i there are times when i can do more uh, research and, and learn and i think uh, that's important to manage your energy as much as anything else and never i mean we never and always the other thing is we none of us know everything and i think there's so much we can learn I don't really like to get into generational stuff. Maybe it's because I think I'm—I don't want to admit that I'm getting older myself. But <laughs> but I think the tools and techniques that the next generations learn uh, are employing, you know, for fundraising, we can learn from that too. Um, so it's mutual, sort of two-way learning. I don't think that anyone can get to the point where they know everything in their career. So just I think if stay curious, but also manage your energy, because of course it's 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 hard, isn't it, to do. The day job and maybe have your family and everything else but um just always find an opportunity to learn and, and bookmark a few blogs i think and just the other thing is I, I i love a bit i love running and i do my 5k runs every now and then and uh mm-hmm. you know get a podcast you know listen to subscribe to something related to what you're interested in there's so much material out there now you could listen to as you're running and just try to take it all in
0: okay okay well uh <laughs> It, uh, it it gives me energy listening to you uh, it gives me energy and, uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, i'm sure it will give uh, to everybody everyone listening to okay well philip uh, thanks a lot we've um, come to the end of the podcast uh, thanks for your time it's been uh, great having you uh, i think you have given uh, a very good view on on many subjects uh, related to fundraising um well we first of all you you shown us that fundraising is always uh, changing uh, and there's uh, m- many ways to learn new things, new people to meet and you just have to, you know, have, uh, man- like, like you say, manage your energy and and, and, and just do it. So, um, so well, uh, well, go to conferences, uh, speak yourself at conferences, uh, all this, everybody can do. and, and uh, I mean, we all have interesting s- things to share when we fundraise for an NGO. So, uh, really, uh, no one has to be shy on this and, and, and contacts is what uh, makes people uh, go and ha- give yourself energy. So, um, uh, if you want to contact Philip to know more on CFRE, of course, uh, don't hesitate. Uh, you can find him on, on LinkedIn or any, uh, uh, I'm sure there are hundreds of ways of contacting him. I will put everything in the notes of the podcast, area, of course. So, um, I myself, I'm going definitely to look at CFRE, uh, listening to you. It, 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 I mean, it, it, it makes me want to, for, 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 for myself and even, yeah, to, to meet people and, and to give me the energy and to force me to have this energy. I mean, for all these reasons, I understand much more why, uh, CFRE can be great. And, and, and in Europe, there's many things to do. Like you said, uh, it's, it's growing in Europe. It's maybe the beginning. So it's a great opportunity, I, I'm sure, for many people in, in different countries to, to, uh, to be part of CFRE now. So. Philip, thanks again, and uh, see you soon.
1: <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity, David. Thank you.
0: Congratulations. You have listened to this episode of the European Fundraising Podcast until the end. Thank you for sharing this episode with at least two of your colleagues around you, or just hijack their phone and subscribe yourself. If you want to be aware of new episodes, just uh, ask me as a friend on LinkedIn, or you can also subscribe to our newsletter on our website. That's uh, fidelist ccfr slash EFA. I am David Clashman and I will see you soon for the next episode. Congratulations. You have listened to this episode of the European Fundraising Podcast until the end. Thank you for sharing this episode with at least two of your colleagues around you or just hijack their phone and subscribe yourself. If you want to be aware of new episodes,